All right, if you'll stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word, turn to Psalm 63. Pastor Tyrone is going to be bringing a message this morning entitled, Seeking After God This New Year. And scripture again is Psalm 63. If you're using a Bible from the back of the pew, you can find it on page 328. The entire Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you this morning. Lord, we just thank you and sing your praises for the blessings that you've given us this past year. And Lord, we look forward to uh, the new year and we ask that you would help us through your grace and your mercy and your spirit to make 2013 a year where we place you and seeking you as a priority in our lives. Just change our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Can you believe it that uh, this is the last Sunday of the year, and uh, on Tuesday morning will be the beginning of uh, 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 2013, and it seems that with each passing year, uh, time just speeds up, doesn't it? Each year gets faster and faster, and this is also a time of year that we make resolutions or We remake those resolutions. They say that about 55% of Americans keep their New Year's resolutions for only one month, and then 40% for six months, and 19% for two months. Last year, I made some resolutions, and I'm really proud of myself. I kept them all year long. I kept them in an envelope in the top drawer of my desk. (laughs) I heard, I read of a son who called his parents to wish uh, them a happy new year, and when his dad answered the phone, he asked his dad, uh, well, dad, what's your new year's resolution? And his dad replied, to make your mother as happy as I can all year long. Well, when his mother got on the phone, he asked her the same question, and his mother replied, My resolution is to see that your dad keeps his New Year's resolution. Well, my prayer this morning is that all of us will make the resolution of seeking after God for the rest of our lives and really work at keeping it. And starting this Tuesday, we will face another New Year. And uh, we all can do one of two things uh, this, uh, this New Year. We can waste it away by sitting around and worrying about all those things we didn't do or the mistakes that we've made throughout the year. 
uh, we can just mope around and have a pity party because things didn't go the way that we wanted them to go. Or we can decide to make the most of this new year that God is going to give us this uh, this coming Tuesday. And if we make that kind of conscience uh, decision to do whatever it takes to have a good year, I believe this could be the greatest year of our lives. I found a verse in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, and it reads this way, Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A couple of translations of that verse is, The person with understanding is always looking for wisdom, but the mind of a fool wanders everywhere. Another translation is, wisdom is directly in front of an understanding person. Or we could put it this way, an intelligent person aims at wise actions. But the eyes of a fool are looking around all over the world. Or we could put it this way, the fool starts off in many directions. And for many, the last part of this verse, I believe, describes them. I mean, the mind of a fool wanders everywhere. They are looking everywhere. They start off in many, many directions. Does that describe any of you this morning? You start your year off in haste, going in way too many directions with absolutely no plan in mind. And notice the words of the beginning of this verse. The wise person is always looking for wisdom. An intelligent person, you see, aims at wise actions. Wisdom is directly in front of an understanding person. So this morning, I want to help us all by us entering this new year going in at least one very important direction, and that is seeking after God. Now, if I had to pick a single word to describe our society, I believe I would pick the word pressure. Pressure is one of the inescapable facts of life today. I mean, we live in a day marked by pressure in almost every area of life. For instance, at the age of five or six, we are thrust into school where there is pressure to perform and complete for grades. Then we join an athletic team for more pressure to excel. Then there is the pressure of getting a job, and once we get it, doing well enough then to keep that job. And how about family pressures? I mean, finding the right mate, building a marriage in a culture where divorce is so easily, uh, uh, so easy and accepted, you see, and the pressure in raising godly children in a pagan society, and then the problems of friends and loved ones all press around us, and there is the pressure of the world uh, uh, that we're living in today, there is the economic pressure that we are in today, and then how about our personal pressures. Well, in the midst of such pressures, there is one thing that, uh, that will determine the course of your and my life, and that is, now listen carefully, and that is our priorities. Every one of us this morning has a set of priorities, or we could call them choices. I mean, uh, and if your priorities or your choices are not clearly defined, I mean, you don't know the meaning of them. I mean, the limits of them, uh, I mean, uh, 
you don't know the markings or, uh, of them or the boundaries of them, I promise you that you will be swept downstream in your life by various pressures, thinking that it's because of your circumstances. But if your priorities are clear, then you can respond, you see, to your pressures by making choices that are in line with your priorities. And because of that, give you a right direction to your life. You and I have priorities. We have choices in our lives. And they give you and me the direction that we are going in life at this very time. So it is very, very essential that you and I have the right choices and the right priorities. Too many of us have, I believe, wrong priorities, and that's why we get in so much hot, deep trouble. Our priorities determine, you see, how much we spend our time. Also, how we make decisions. Here in my priorities keep us from being battered around by the waves of pressure, and they also help us to steer a clear course toward the proper destination. And I promise you, priorities, or your choices, we could say, godly priorities, godly choices are very, very critical. So this morning, I want to talk about what ought to be your and my most important priority, seeking after God. They are, there, there are many priorities uh, that we maybe ought to have. But I believe seeking after God is the greatest of them all. Now listen, if you and I get this priority in place and work to keep it there, everything else in life will take its proper place. But if we neglect it, even though it may seem that things are going well, we will end up far, uh, far from where we ought to be going, you see. Jesus put it this way. You're familiar with the verse. In Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, he says, that his personal needs and provisions will be added to you. Now I want to take you briefly to a psalm written by King David when he was under tremendous pressure. I mean, his own son, Absalom, at this time, had led a rebellion against David. And the king and his followers were forced to flee now for their lives. And during that time, David spent a short while in the barren wilderness of Judea. And while he was there, he penned this particular psalm, Psalms chapter 63. Now let me tell you, David knew something about pressures. I mean, he knew the problems that would come because of it. And in his particular case, he knew the pressures of leadership. And let me tell you, I believe that the very fact that David wrote this psalm is very significant. If I were fleeing for my life, facing with the kinds of pressure that David uh, was faced, uh, facing at that particular moment, I want you to know writing psalms just wouldn't be a real high priority on my list. Or if I did write a song, the theme of it would be, get me out of here, O Lord, get me out of here. But in Psalm 63, 
It contains absolutely no petition. Instead, you see, it's a formation of David's priority under pressure. It teaches us seeking God should be our most important priority. So what I want to do is uh, deal uh, with two questions from this particular psalm. The first question is, what does it mean to seek after God? There's three things that I want you to see in this uh, chapter. And uh, first of all, to seek after God means to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. Notice in verse 1, it says, O God, Thou art my God. Maybe you were raised in church or have been attending for some time and you know many things about God. But knowing God personally is different than knowing about Him. There's a big difference between knowing about a person and actually knowing uh, that person. Uh, You and I, uh, we can learn a lot about President Obama. I mean, we can read books and articles about his life. I mean, we can read all about his personality and personal habits and personal life. But it's still not the same as knowing the man personally. Now, to know the president president personally would require uh, an introduction or an occasion to meet him. And then spending hours with him with over a long period of time in many different situations. Then as the relationship began to develop, you would begin to discover more and more about the man, not from an academic viewpoint or standpoint, but as a close friend. Now that's how it must be, I believe, with God. If you want to seek Him, There must have been a time when you met him personally through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself in John chapter 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, part of really knowing God is knowing that you have eternal life with God. Jesus also said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Then he says this, listen carefully, no one comes to the Father except through me. Your and my introduction comes when we first of all acknowledge our sin to God and then secondly receive the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, which he offers us through Christ's death on the cross of Calvary. Now, my question this morning is, have you done that? Let me ask you another question. If you were to die this afternoon, where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend it? The people are dying all the time. And if you would suddenly be gone, where would you be? Is that really settled? I don't know if you knew this or not, but when Anna and I were in uh, full-time youth work back in 63 or 64, we were in Amarillo. 
And uh, I, I was doing youth work and also music in, in, in that church. And uh, we were on vacation, and one night Ann woke me up, and she said, Tyrone, I've got to get saved. I thought she already had been saved. That's one reason I married her, you know. I mean, you're supposed to marry a Christian. I said, what in the world is going on, Ann? She said, I, I, I know, I remember when I was 14, I went down the aisle, but I can't remember anything else. Well, let me tell you something. It always, when I talk to young people, if, it were, if they had any doubts or there was any question, I always encourage them, let's just take care of it right here and then, now. And that's exactly what she and I did. We both knelt down, and out loud she prayed the sinner's prayer. She asked Jesus to come into her heart. And if you were to ask her today when she got saved, she got saved on that night when, I, when we knelt down in, in, on, in vacation time. My question is this this morning. Are you saved? Do you really know you are saved? Is it completely settled? Or are there some doubts? And if there are some doubts, let me encourage you to take care of that this morning here at the altar and get that all taken care of because God wants you to. Now, after our salvation, you and I must develop our relationship by spending time with our new friend through the weeks and months and years in a lot of various uh, situations. And uh, as you know, sin hinders a relationship with God. And to grow closer to Him, you and I must openly, you see, confess all our sin and grow in obedience. Jesus promised this in John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So seeking after God means that you and I are seeking to develop an intimate relationship with God whom we have met personally through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and where He discloses more of Himself to you as you grow in obedience uh, to Him. Secondly, seeking God means to desire more of God. Look at verse 1 again. Early will I seek thee. My soul, David says, seeketh for thee. Now, uh, didn't David have the Lord? Well, sure he did, because he calls him my God. But he wanted more. He wanted to go deeper. Look at verse 5. He was satisfied. But he wasn't really satisfied. He knew that there was more, and his whole, a whole a being craved as it, a, a thirsty man craves, you see, for water. The words, early will I seek. David is simply saying, I'm going to seek the Lord earnestly, very diligently. My body, he says, longs for you. That word seek was used of wild donkeys looking eagerly, you see, for food. Now, here's the point. To seek after God means to go after God with an intense desire. A young man ran after Socrates, calling, Socrates, Socrates, can I be your disciple? And Socrates ignored him and walked 
out into the water. And the man followed him and repeated the question. And Socrates turned without a word, grabbed the young man, ducked him under the water and held him down until he knew that he couldn't take it any longer. The man came up grasping for air. And Socrates replied, When you desire the truth as much as you seek air, you can be my disciple. So let me ask you this morning, how much do you really desire to know God? To seek after God means that there is always more. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God is an unlimited, never-ending person. If you and I figure that we've reached a level of maturity in our Christian life where we can put it in cruise control and really coast, I believe we're really in hot, deep trouble. David had walked with God, you see, for years. But he thirsted, the Bible says, for more. I believe that if you and I are not careful, we can fall into the trap of ritual religion. I mean, just going through the motions with absolutely no meaning. Our prayer life can become that way. Habits are without a purpose. Going to church can be that way. And the result of a Christian life that is just coasting, losing the desire for God, seeking God is no longer part of the daily life is, I believe, there is no then real satisfaction in our faith anymore. In other words, we don't feel a sense of fulfillment. We feel empty inside. Or there is a shadowiness of inner experience with God that has set in. Our relationship with Him is now very, very weak. There's a lack of a holy desire. Or there is a hollowness of worship, both privately and publicly. I mean, there is a lack of personal worship and very, very little worship in church. Even though we come to church every Sunday, we're only going through the motions. There's a Sunday, it's 9.30 or 10.45, and I'm in church, and so we come and we do our thing. But to really worship God, it's not there. Or, there is more of an imitation of the world. That is, the world has become more the standard of our lifestyle instead of God's Word. Or life situations, or life solutions, I should put it this way, are solved by the world instead of God's Word. So this morning, let me encourage you to want more of God. Let's thirst, let's hunger God more. Then thirdly, seeking God means to pursue God alone, I believe, to fill the vacuum in your in my life. When you and I are in a jam like David was, the tendency is to try to use God like some kind of genie to get us out of a crisis. And when it's all over, what we do is we put them back on the shelf when we get on with our lives. Or we use things or people to fill the void in our life. In either case, God is in the background. He is in central of our lives. 
things or people, work or hobbies are. And put yourself in David's place. He felt empty, shameful, and he was very depressed here. And he has fled from the throne now. He left his possessions and his wives behind. His own son, whom he loved deeply, was attempting to uh, kill him. And yet, in all this, David wasn't seeking for any of those things to fill the vacuum in his life. And David wasn't trying to use God to get all those things back, you see. But rather for God alone. David was seeking God. He says, I seek you. I thirst for you. I yearn for you. Your love is better than life, he says. I don't know about you, but those are tremendous statements. I have found this to be a constant battle in my life. I uh, believe that we're all prone to drift into the place where God has a, only what I would call a slice of our lives. But He isn't central. We go to church on Sunday. We profess to be Christians, but we're only living for something other than God. The fact is, it's really easy to fill our lives, I believe, with things other than God. Oh, they may be good things, but they are not God. And God alone can fill the void. For example, many people fill their lives, I believe, with people. They surround themselves with family and friends and give God a slice of the pie on Sunday morning. But God isn't essential. People are, you see. People are good, and God has given us the blessing of human relationships. But we should not try to fill the vacuum in our lives with people, but with God. Others try to fill their lives with possessions or with good positions uh, in their jobs. And again, those things have their place, but they are not meant to fill the vacuum of our lives. Only God alone can do that. So to seek God means to pursue Him alone, to fill that God-shaped vacuum in our lives. So seeking God means, first of all, to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. Are you saved? Secondly, always desire more of Him. And thirdly, to pursue God alone to fill the vacuum in your life. Then the second question, how does a person seek after God? Now, I'm hoping this morning that all of you have really put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know Him personally. As I already mentioned, you begin a relationship with God when you realize that you have sinned against a holy God. And when you flee for refuge to the provision of God that He's made for your sin on the cross of Calvary through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, once you receive His grace, how do you go on seeking after God? Let me give you three things. You seek God, first of all, notice in verse 3 and 8, by putting love for God at the center of your relationship with Him. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 63. 
Because your loving kindness is better than life. Then he says, my lips shall praise you. Now look at verse 8. My soul follows close behind you, and your right hand, notice, upholds me. Now, what a beautiful, beautiful balance there is. David clings to God. But notice, underneath it, God's powerful hand is under David. That word in verse 8, follow, or clings, points to our loyalty related to affection. To David, God's love, in verse 3, was better than life itself. And so David says, my soul clings or followed to you. Now, that word follow or clings is the same word used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where it says that a man will cleave, you see, to his wife. Or in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2, it describes Solomon holding fast in love to many, many foreign women. Here's the idea. Loyalty related to strong feelings of affection. I believe that your and my relationship with the Lord is comfortable to a marriage relationship. Marriage is a relationship where intense feelings of passion and a lifelong commitment are intertwined, as you know. And when a couple falls in love, there are strong feelings and there is nothing wrong with that at all. But a marriage cannot be built on feelings alone. But on what? On commitment. The commitment, the commitment carries you and me through hard times when the feelings may fade away. And sometimes you and I have to work at romance, don't we? I mean, that sounds contradictory, but it's not. Now listen to me very carefully. If there are never any feelings of love, your and my marriage is really in hot, deep trouble. And so seeking after God means, I believe, keeping our passion for God alive. Christianity isn't just a matter of the head, folks, but of the heart. And as you and I think on what God has really done for us in Christ, that ought to really move us emotionally. I was thinking about that as I was sitting in what we're going to be drinking in heaven, coffee at Starbucks. And as I was thinking there, can you imagine God thought of me and you before He created all of the heavens of the earth? We celebrate at Christmas and we see the babe of Christ. But do you know why He came down from heaven and became the babe of Christ? To grow and become a man and die on the cross of Calvary and take your sin and my sin so that we might have a way to go to heaven. Now, not only that, but He accepted us. Just think about this. He accepted you. He accepted me. As sinners, no good sinners, but He accepted us. Not only that, but He gave us eternal life. And one day, because of our salvation in Jesus Christ, you and I are going to walk into the pearly gates of heaven. We're going to be with Him 
for eternity in everything that is perfect. That ought to get us going emotionally and really falling back in love with God. And as we reflect on God's great love and faithfulness to us over the years, in spite of our failures, we ought to feel love, I believe, for Him. I mean, how many times we have disobeyed Him. We did our own thing. We went our own way. But He still loved us. He still stood faithful to us. And as you know, in our marriage, keeping our passion alive means saying no to some things in order to say yes to our wife and husband. Your job, outside interest, time with other friends, even our involvement here at church. These are all good things in their places. But they shouldn't come, I believe, before our marriage. And in the same way, nothing, not even our marriage and family should come before our love relationship with God. Then secondly, to seek God, it's by spending constant time alone with God. Look at verse 1. He says, Early will I seek thee. My soul seeketh or thirsteth after thee. My flesh longeth for thee. Look at verse 6. I remember thee and meditate on thee. Verse 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Now David was under intense pressure as he fled from Absalom. He had to think about how all of his loyal followers who fled with him were going to get food, you see, and water in this barren wilderness. He had to be thinking constantly about their safety. And yet he did not neglect, now listen careful now, he didn't neglect earnestly seeking God in this awful trying situation. David made it a priority to spend time alone with God. We all make time to do what we want to do, don't we? We found, I found that I've got time to do whatever I want to do. For instance, I was thinking about this. I always had a hard time in school. Never liked school. Wasn't part of my gene. But my first year at BBC when I went there... I really tried hard to make some good grades. And I took voice lessons there. I worked at every odd job I could find. My schedule really was heavy. Then I met Anne my last week of that first year there. And I fell in love with her the following year at school. And suddenly, with all that I had to do, with all that was going on, suddenly I found time to spend with her. I mean, I found time, all the time in the world. In fact, through that year, we got married right the day after uh, school was out. We couldn't get married during school at that time. And uh, when I dated her, I mean, she got A's and I got F's. That's God's given. That's true. And the reason is because every time I tried to study, I, had to, I was thinking about her. Or I wanted to always be with her. Now, what I'm saying is that when you're in love with an individual or love with something, you're going to spend time with that person or that thing. 
Now, if you're in love with God, you'll make time, I believe, to spend with Him. This includes time in His Word, of course, renewing your mind so that you can please Him, prayer, that is bringing your needs and other needs before Him, and praising and worshiping Him, expressing love for Him. Now, I believe the main thing is to have some kind of connection with God. Now, when I say that, don't misunderstand what I'm going to be saying. I believe we need to discipline ourselves in Bible reading. And I have, and I started yesterday, I have a Bible plan. I'm going to read the Bible through in one year, but I started early because I know I'm going to miss some days. But I have a plan. I have it in my notebook, and uh, I have to mark it and all this and that. That's my Bible plan. It's disciplinary. And also prayer. And we need to discipline ourselves in praising. But sometimes just a connection with God, I believe, will maybe even mean more. Now let me explain when I say that. Because you see, I'm one of the guys I don't like to read. Books are not my thing. Oh, I got a lot of books in my library, but that don't mean anything. I don't like it. I never did like to read. And when... When I was challenged to have Bible study and read our Bibles by my father and my mother and at youth camp, that was one of the most struggled things I had in my life is to maintain a constant Bible reading habit and prayer time. When I became your pastor here back in 71, I struggled with that and I still am struggling with that. I used to feel so guilty about that. I would think maybe I'm just not with God. If I was challenged to read books, I didn't want to read those books, okay? Then, a few years ago, I began to just have, on the days that I didn't want to read my Bible, and I wouldn't, if I didn't want to do it, I didn't do it, I would have a connection, as I called it, with God. I'd listen to uh, maybe uh, Christian music, read a sermon, or listen to a sermon, or just meditate and sit on my back uh, porch and just dwell on the things of God. It's that connection with God. I don't know if that will help you or not, but it just relieved everything in me. It made help me to realize that I, if I have that connection with God, I can be alone with Him. And I also have found that throughout my life, that I have enough time to do what I want to do. But my problem is this. Sometimes I don't want to do what I ought to be doing, like going to the gym. After I got well, and I uh, joined, uh, or, or, or I was a member of uh, the gym, and I'd go, I have to go every day. I should, for therapy reasons, and to keep my body limbered. I haven't been there all week. I don't want to go. So I didn't go. I don't have to go. You're not paying me to go, so I'm not going to go, you you see. But I have to make myself do what I ought to do. And folks, sometimes we have to make ourselves spend time alone with God. And don't get all messed up just because you don't want to. Because you just might find that you will get up in the morning and you don't want to spend time with God and you make yourself do it anyway. You force yourself, just like you and I do when we go to the gym when we don't want to. Then thirdly, you seek God by joining together God 
into every area of your life. Look at verse 8 again. David is saying, I'm following hard after God in my life. You see that? He's saying, I hold on to you, God, for dear life. God isn't just a spoke in the wheel, folks. He's the hub. God permeates every area of our lives. He's at the center of every decision that you and I make. He's the Lord of every relationship that we have. You manage and I manage our money by constantly, uh, uh, by considering what His Word has to say about it. There is no area of our life, be it your, our business or our family or our education or whatever, where God is not an essential part of it. And there is no division, no difference between sacred and secular. All of our life is related, folks, to God. And here is David. His kingdom is in complete disarray, running for his life, seeking to protect his men. I mean, it would be understandable now if God was temporarily squeezed out of the picture of his life. But David, folks, David is still following hard after God. God was at the center of David's present and his future. No area was off limits, you see, folks, to God. So let me ask you in closing. Now don't get excited with me saying that. They say the best part of the message and the most important part of the message is the closing. So I've got five of them. So how is it? So how is it with you and your God? Perhaps you say, preacher, I'm actively involved in serving God. That's fine. But that's not what I'm asking you this morning. You can be in full-time ministry and lose sight of seeking God Himself, I believe. We can be so involved in church work and other stuff for the Lord that we lose sight of really seeking after God. Look at this past week or this past month or even this past year. And ask yourself, did my schedule reflect that seeking God was my number one priority? You say, well, <laughs> Tyrone, uh, that's my priority, but I've, been, I've really been under a, a lot, a lot of pressure. Now listen to me. Pressure is what reveals our true priorities. And when the pressure is on, Everything but the essentials really gets put on the hold, doesn't it? And the Holy Spirit is telling you and me, I believe through David here, seeking God, folks, is essential. If it is not essential for you this morning, then I believe you need to join David, the man after God's heart, in making it so. For your life. Let's bow our heads if we will please. Every head bowed. We're going to have an invitation as we normally have. 
I'm going to ask you to make a decision. First of all, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? You need to ask yourself that and make sure of that. Can you go back to a time when you realized you were a sinner, heaven was hopeless, and you cried out to God, God have mercy on me. You may not be able to put a date on that, but you can remember when that took place in some manner or form. I mean, you, 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 you are sure if you died this afternoon, according to what the Bible has to say, that you would be going to be with the Lord. Or is that settled? Don't worry about the fact that if you're a member of this church or not and have been for a while, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Oh, yes, Ann was embarrassed to go back to Amarillo, church running over 600, youth department 125, and tell the preacher that she received Christ and for the preacher to baptize her the following Sunday. Well, let me tell you something. It took care of the most important situation in her life. Then are you seeking God? Is God number one in your life? Is he central in your life? We're going to have an invitation. And this is the time for us to come and make a decision for the Lord. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, the praise team is going to start singing. And as they sing, that's the time for you to come. And here at this altar, give your life totally to the Lord. If you need Christ as your personal Savior, come to me or to Chris here, and we will show you how you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided us with salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you came down from heaven to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, it overwhelms me when I realize what you did for me and how you accepted me as I am, a sinner, and how much you love me and you want me to be in heaven. And Lord, it's the same with these folks here in front of me. And Lord, how many times I have fallen short in not seeking after you. And God, as I have talked to you in the last few weeks, numerous of times, Lord, this is my number one resolution, my number one priority. God, help us all this morning as Christians to say, God, this year I'm going to seek after you. You are going to become the central of my life. You're going to become everything of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. As our heads are bowed, and the praise team begins to sing, will you come or make a decision behind a pew? Will you make a decision for Christ?